Podcast 014 Chicken Presentation Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com They sell food preservation tools Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest I'm now recording Everybody say hi to the podcast people Hi Hi to the podcast people (laughs) Alright, so we're off and running Um I'm going to do the obnoxious thing, which you hate to see any presenter do, and that is read the slide. Consider for a moment being put into a cage where your only food is moldy Purina human chow. Everything your human needs for growth and reproduction now with ground-up minerals. And your only drink is dirty water, and just out of reach of your cage is fresh strawberries. This picture just wouldn't be complete without a farmer saying, I must be taking good care of these humans because most of them haven't died. This is what I see as I go. I get invited to a lot of farms, a lot of backyard gardens and stuff like that, and this is what I see people doing with their chickens. They've got their chickens standing around on a bunch of poop, usually about this thick. I mean, the the actual the ground level inside the chicken run is three inches higher than the ground level outside, and they've had their chickens in there for like several years, and the reason is the chickens keep crapping in there, and the ground level goes up and up and up. There's not a green thing to be had inside. And the people are proud of their chickens. They love their chickens. And they just have, and and so all I do is rain on their parade. I come and I express, oh, that's kind of icky. I don't like it. And it just uh, tends to annoy them. Um, I started off not having an article or a presentation, and then when people, I would go and visit the people, and then I would try to express to them my pain in seeing what I saw, um, they would just get angry with me, and I never got a chance to fully express myself. So uh, one day, uh, it was about two, three years ago, um, the uh, uh, Northwest uh, Permaculture Convergence asked me to do a presentation, and so I said I would do it on chickens, and that got me going to write the article and write this presentation. I started the article. I put a version of the article online, and then I went to a forum that has farmers on it and other um, uh, um, homesteaders, and I said, hey, look at my article that I wrote, you know, thinking I'm going to get all this awesome feedback. Wow, that's such an awesome article. You made some really great points. And instead, they hated it. They hated my guts. Man, the hostility was was spectacular. And and on my article, you can read, I, I copied a bunch of the hostility into the article. And I'm, I'm gonna, I'll show you later where it was that they were really upset with me. And, uh, and we'll go into that a little bit. But, but since then, I've also come up with a whole lot of people who love the article. And they are already doing the things that I advocate here. And most importantly, after writing the article, I got to meet face-to-face the mighty, the glorious, the amazing Sepp Holzer. Yes, a little polite golf clap for Sepp Holzer. And, um, <clears throat> and this is the way he does it, the way that is in my article. I didn't know that. Oh, and does anybody know what this means down here? I am O O. See, now it's, it's like that, but see, there's an O where the H is. My outstanding, no. Obnoxious of an in my obnoxious opinion. And now I need to change it because now I put I am A A O for in my arrogant and obnoxious opinion. 
So, uh, but but this, I mean, basically that's what we're going to talk about is a, is a great deal of speculation. So, um, you know, there, there, I, there's going to be a lot of factual information in here, but I, I don't want you to get the idea that everything in here is, uh, you know, been done with a double-blind study and posted in a, a peer-reviewed journal or anything like that. What does this picture represent? This is a drawing. By the way, the artwork here is done by a fellow here in Missoula, uh, Mark Alexander. Um, he, uh, he seems to be able to really uh, understand what I'm talking about and draw these awesome pictures. So who here has ever cleaned a chicken coop? Yeah, what a fun job. So um, these techniques that I'm about to go into, I'll eventually get to, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover this. I now never clean a chicken coop. Never. Don't have to. It's self-cleaning. We're going to talk about that in great detail in a moment. I'm just baiting you. Um, I have cut my food cost by 80%, and Sepp Holzer cuts it by about 98%. And I've talked to other people that have managed to cut it that far as well. I haven't been able to find anybody who's cut it 100%, although I imagine that there's some people in some tropical areas, which is natural habitat for chickens, that may have been able to do that. And, of course, <clears throat> the ability to leave your chickens behind while you go on vacation. To be able to have your chickens be fine by themselves for a week to ten days. So rather than having to have somebody come by and, and, uh, and while you're gone and, and lit them out in the morning and put them, you know, lock their door at night and, and all that stuff for so twice a day, rather than that, no, you can go seven to ten days. So here's the breakdown that I'm going to have. We're going to have first, we're going to, I'm going to go over my concerns. What were my concerns? What were the things that bothered me? And, and then that's going to lead us into, okay, there's six general approaches that I'm aware of, and there's combinations of those six, and we'll cover those in the most detail. And then we're going to pop into talking about predators, and then we're going to talk about stuff that you can plant so that the chickens can self-harvest it so you don't have to buy feed anymore or at least cut way, way, way back. And then a few other bits and bobs, Q&A, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this, where I've given this presentation in the past, it's gone over two hours. And I don't think we've got that much time. So we'll make the best of it. All right. When we put any animal in a cage or behind a fence, then we are assuming the arrogance that comes with that. We are expressing to that animal and anybody who can see us that we know better, that we know how to take care of this animal, that we know what is best for this animal, and that we are going to give it a better life than it would otherwise have. If we're a person of good conscience, we will give it a better life. We will give any animal a better life in that condition. Now, here's a chicken's natural habitat. And instead of getting dried grains and, and dried minerals, we're talking about green food. This is a jungle. So fresh greens, uh, fresh grains, not dried grains, fresh, and then and, uh, fruit and bugs and, and all kinds of, and a chicken can live uh, indefinitely in there with the exception of the issue of predators. 
So um, <laughs> I, I, I've heard this one a lot. I, I've been to a lot of farms, and, it, and this is something that's always expressed as like, uh, well, you've got to keep the chickens caged up because if they get out, they'll destroy the garden. And and then um, so this is this is something that I, I, it makes you really uncomfortable because I kind of think, what well you know what is it you're not feeding them that they that they seem to need that uh, you know uh, that you're holding back clearly there's something in your garden that's going to be of great help. I see, I see these massive chicken coops, these palaces, chicken palaces that are elaborate and beautiful and amazing, and there's no way for the chicken to see the sun. They are fully contained, and they call it a run, and of course there's nothing green inside because the chickens ate all the greenery three years ago. But it is a beautiful structure. And they, I don't know, they're, they're humanizing the chicken. They're trying to think, oh, this is the kind of place I'd like to live in if I were a chicken. But uh, they don't, they don't give, let the, allow the chicken to get any sun, which I think is an important thing. And then the systems we're going to talk about, by the end of this presentation, hopefully I'll be giving you something so that you can build something that's very easy to build and much, much cheaper and way better for the chicken. It's for me. Who can tell me what pisses me off about this carton of eggs? Free ring. Nope. I mean, that's stupid and bad and that's crap, really, but that's not, that's not the thing that really pisses me off. Yes, sir? The vegetarian diet. The vegetarian diet. What nitwit cried out, oh, I only want to eat eggs if they only fed the chickens a vegetarian diet. This is, I mean, the chicken, I, I think that going, if, if a human being chooses to be a vegetarian or a vegan, I think that that is an incredibly noble and amazing thing. It's a sacrifice that they've elected to do to be a higher being. They are choosing to be more evolved. They are choosing to sacrifice something from an omnivore's diet in order to make a stand, in order to show that they have a brain. But the chicken doesn't have that option. The chicken is an omnivore. Half of a chicken's natural diet is bugs. And so I think it's fair. You know what? Let those chickens decide. Hey, chicken, here's, here's some meat. And here's like this lousy chicken feed. You decide if you want to be a vegetarian. I think that would be cooked. That'd be awesome. That'd be fine. But no, they're going to force them to be vegetarians, which is not their natural diet. And so now... It's like, oh, here, why don't you come and eat some fucked up eggs? This is like, oh, great, the kids showed up just in time. <laughs> I have lots of new words. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I want to underline in the podcast. How do I do that? <laughs> All right. Factory. So, so we all know what that looks like, right? We've seen lots of pictures and stuff. And I think I got a couple pictures in this. We'll show you. Coop and run. This is where almost everybody starts. This is where I started. I mean, it's really simple. You put a coop out there, and then you put a, a, a fenced area around the coop, and so the chickens can have a place to go and run around. Chicken tractor. This is an interesting contraption. Who here has done the chicken tractor thing? Two people. So you, you kind of make this thing that's got like some open stuff for the chickens to be in and, and a sheltery bit, and you kind of move it around. We're going to go into a lot of detail about this. This is where I get all my hate mail. 
Uh, truly free range. This is where the chickens are totally loose on your land. You probably don't do this in town very much. Otherwise, you know, your chickens will all be eaten by the local dogs. But uh, uh, this is something that a lot of people do out on farms. And this is where the chickens have the opportunity to crap on everything you own. So, you know, you let the windows roll down in your car, you know, because it's summer to keep it kind of cool in there. And then you come in there and there's crap all over the seats. That's what truly free range means. Uh, pastured poultry pens. This is, uh, comes from the works of Joel Salatin. Who's familiar with Salatin's works? Salatin is awesome. We'll talk about Salatin in a little while. But, of course, I think Salatin takes a distant back seat to the, the, the paddock system, the paddock shift system, which is what Holzer uses, which is what I advocate in this article, which I think is awesome. And we'll get to that last. In order to be able to express my opinion about these different things, <clears throat> I didn't want to just have a Boolean value of saying yes or no or whatever. I, I, so I came up with this scale of 0 to 10, uh, 10 being it's great, 0 being that it's the worst. So, um, and, and yes, I am a math guy, so I use 0 a lot as opposed to being 1 to 10, which I think most people want. Vegetation. So this is one of the factors here. Um, uh, does the chicken have access to, to vegetation? Uh, or 10 is uh, so much the chicken doesn't eat any of the provided chicken feed. So uh, where they, the chicken just has access to so much. This would be like the natural habitat of a jungle. You've got a great big jungle. Uh, you've got five chickens. They have access to five acres of jungle. I think that they're going to, if you put your lame chicken feed out there, I imagine the chickens won't touch your lame chicken feed. They're going to find everything they need in the jungle. <clears throat> Ooh, vegetation vector. I am going to have one case where I'm going to uh, show negative values, and I'll talk about that. Uh, and if I get my feed bill near zero, then I have increased my profit margin by a factor of eight or so. Um, so money, I, I know that uh, some people in the permaculture world are not keen on making money. Um, I, I wrote this article out of a passion to make money, even though I'm permaculture-trained guy and stuff, and I teach permaculture. So um, I, I'm the one of the rare, one of the one out of 50 that's like, thinks money is okay. Um, and I really want my animals to eat from a polyculture. I think that that makes for a much healthier animal. Bug factor. I already mentioned that nearly half of a chicken's natural diet is bugs. Um, the more bugs that they eat, the less chicken feed I have to buy. So zero is no bugs. Ten is that there's plenty. Poop. There's two different kinds of poop factors here. The first poop factor is how much poop do I have to deal with? So I give it a zero if you have a fixed coop kind of a thing. You have to deal with all the poop. If you've got an enclosed coop and the coop never moves, and that's the only thing that the chickens ever hang out in, you've got to get in there periodically and scrape out all the poop. And how many of you done that? It's quite a few, right? Yeah. It's a damn nasty job. There's another good word for the kids. <laughs> nasty. All right. Uh, ten is that there's no effort at all. Don't have to do anything with it at all. And then there's the other aspect, which is hygiene for the chickens. Uh, zero, every moment of every day, the chicken is standing on poopy bits and breathing in ammonia. That's zero. Ten, the chicken is never standing on poop, and the air is as fresh as it can get. 
work. How much work do I have to do each week to keep this system going? So now you think about it. Uh, okay, so here's zero. About four hours per week for 25 birds. So Salatin system is an awesome system, but you've got to move those pens twice a day. Now, I know some people have put half as many birds into the pen, and then they move the pens only once a day. But, I mean, still, you've got to go out there once a day and move the pen. It's, it's still a job. I mean, even if you can move the pen and move the water, move the feed, I mean, you're still looking at it's probably a good 10 minutes. And that's if you've got, like, six or seven of them in a row. It, it still adds up to a lot of time. And then there's, you know, other chores. I mean, they're in a confined space you're going to have to bring some feed and water out to them. They don't have access to any automated feed or water. And then a factor of 10 is about two minutes per week for 25 birds. <clears throat> Natural habitat. Of course, a factory farm is going to score zero. They're sitting in a confined cage and can't really move. That's not exactly their natural habitat. That's not the jungle. Uh, tan, of course, completely loose in the jungle. Um, confinement, very similar kind of thing. I mean, uh, are they in that little cage or are they able to wander around? I mean, you can have something where it's like not a natural habitat, but they're not confined either. They've got a great big area to go wander around, but there's not like any kind of jungly stuff going on in it. Question. Yeah. Yes. So here you get 10 if they're allowed to go and crap inside of your car. You wouldn't want to confine them out of your car, would you? <laughs> Here's what I found. If you roll up the windows on your car, they still want to get in there, and so then they jump up thinking they're going to get there, and they don't quite get the whole thing, glass thing. That's like this weird force field. They just... It's not supposed to be there. So what they do is they think that if they keep trying, eventually they'll beat the force field. And so they claw and scratch at that edge of your car door until you get all these. So if you want to go out and look at my car, the green rat 4 out there, you can look at all the scratch marks down the sides where my truly free-range chickens tried to beat the force field. So, uh, yeah, you, so you got this choice. You get crap inside the car or the outside's all scratched up. I want to make a case for how truly free range probably isn't the best way to go. We'll get to that in a minute. Money, food cost factor. Um, now, I say here, well, zero for factory farms. I mean, they're not going to, the only food that they're going to get is the food that you give them. So zero has to be for fa factory farms. And then 10 is where the chickens just simply put out the, the food for them to eat, and they just never eat it. That's as good as it gets. All right, so we start with a factory farm. <clears throat> We've already covered all these numbers. Work factor, I gave them a three because um, I would imagine that they've done some things to try and make the system go a little bit faster. So I would imagine that there's going to be some people that have a coop and run scenario that are probably doing more work than a factory farm, you know, per chicken, averaged out. So there you go. <laughs> um, are these layers or meat birds? Go ahead and guess. I'll, I'll shame you either way. Layers. These are layers because here's, here's where the, the eggs get caught in these little, you know, things down here. You can see some eggs down there. And so that way people can come up and just pick the eggs out nice and easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. So there's, there you can see the eggs on the little being caught in the little gutter down there. And look, they might have some cleanup to do. What do you suppose it smells like there? What do you suppose it smells like two miles from there? <clears throat> and these are meat. 
Yeah, we're not worried about getting their eggs, but um, kind of crowded looking. What is that? Doom. I like that. It's poopy doom. Organic. <laughs> yeah. Well, organic if you don't consider the fact that they've debeaked the chickens and um, fed them all kinds of um, chemicals so that way they don't all get sick and die so much. Because, of course, packed in like that, they would get sick, right? And um, they can't really move. They don't get to see the sun. And the food they feed them is really lame. So, of course, the solution isn't to put them outside into the sunshine. No, the solution is, is feed them full of antibiotics. So when you say organic, then I kind of go, um, maybe by somebody's standards, just not mine. Okay, so you're saying it's so much organic stuff, it's what? It is pollution, indeed. I mean, um, uh, because these guys make these great big piles of shit, and there's a word you should write down and learn how to spell. Um, because of that, then people that have smaller chicken operations are being regulated also to say, oh, no, because you got some chickens, we got to regulate you because you could, like, do this. But, you know, while we're regulating you, we're going to allow these guys to do this because they got an exception permit because their lawyers came and scared us. But um, actually, we haven't gotten that too far with chicken stuff yet. But, you know, there's a lot of farmers that are like, oh, I'm going to buy this piece of land. I'm going to have some chickens. We're going to have some pigs. It's going to be awesome. And the neighbors come out and say, no, you can't do that because it's going to stink. Because they know about this. Coop and run. This is where we all start. Real basic recipe. So here we got somebody's house in their backyard, and and then uh, they kind of make this little fenced-off area in the back, and and they got cooping. And why why is there this brown bit here? Who can tell me that? I mean, I know I made it, so I do know. I'm fishing here. Anybody? So they run back and forth to the coop, and they hang around the coop all the time, and then uh, they come out here and they goof around out here, but they end up, you know, spending a lot of, and then right along the fences because they love you. You're the most interesting thing to come by all day. They are bored. They do not have television. They don't have the Internet. So when you come out the backyard, you are the most interesting thing. So right here along the fence, it's all worn out. When are those people going to come out so we can watch them again? That was interesting. Coop and run metrics. Okay, so um, we've got some of these things are ranges now. So, for example, vegetation factor, you, uh, zero to seven. So most of the operations I've ever seen are zero. There's no vegetation. In fact, I'll show you some pictures in a little while, and uh, you'll see the fence, and then there's the side that the chickens are on, and it's like, you know, three inches higher, and they're standing around on that mat of not green. And then there's like some plant growing right next to it, and all the little green is nibbled off from it for about an inch, and then there's the fence. And so usually it's a zero, but it's plausible. So I've had some people write to me and say I should bump this number up because it's plausible that you could have like an acre. There you go, chickens. There's three chickens, and you've got an acre. Have fun. So I'll give it a seven, but I elected to not give it a ten um, because I'm just an asshole that way. Another great word to write down and memorize. Um, 
bug factor, one to three. I mean, there can be the occasional wayward bug that finds its way into a chicken run, but it just doesn't happen all that often. It's just not as good as when they go into an area that's full of bugs and they can get all the bugs they want. Poop cleaning factor, the coop is fixed, so you're still going in there and you're gutting at the coop. So uh, not, you know, some systems, like if you do deep bedding, you don't have to clean out the coop as much, but you're still cleaning it out. Poop hygiene, mostly I see, I, I'll, I'll give it a zero. I mean, same as factory. They're still standing around in their own crap. You know, it's it's like, okay, they can move around a little bit more, but the, the, the poop hygiene factor is the same. In fact, in the factory, they're standing around on that cagey thing, so most of the poop's going through the cage, whereas most coop and run stuff, they're still standing around in their own poop. Why the range? How much space do they have? I mean, if you give three chickens an acre, yeah. then they're not standing around their poop nearly as much. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Sure. Anytime. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> work factor. <clears throat> so this is going to be one of your more work intense kind of scenarios. But um, I still don't think it's as much a Salatin system. But, uh, um, I mean, it's, it's going to so depend on so many different little things. Uh, uh, so one to six for work factor. Natural habitat, two to six. Confinement, one to six. Food cost, zero to three. I mean, you know, again, the three, th th I'm throwing a bone there. I mean, you know, if you got, th you got an acre and three chickens, you don't have to feed them quite as much. Um, little bits and bobs for coop and run. Chickens in the same area day after day can facilitate disease buildup. So, um, I mean, yuck. This is the reason why, I mean, there's other systems that we're, we can talk about later, but um, in some of the systems there's like a paddock ship system where they have a central chicken coop and then they have all these paddocks around the chicken coop and then they'll like open up a gate to one of the paddocks and so they can go into this green lush stuff, but they always stay in the same shelter. And this is referred to as the wagon wheel uh, approach. Alan Savory wrote a book like 35 years ago that des described this paddock ship system for cattle. And uh, they've abandoned that particular design for cattle because the cattle would keep hanging around that shelter all the time and then it was like disease buildup. Plus, that's some space too that if you gave it a rest, it would re-green. <clears throat> Uh, since there's loads of chicken poop in the area and a lack of plant growth to take in the manure, the poop is headed for the groundwater supply. Now, for those of you in town, who here is out of town? Who here is rural? Five or six. Okay. Um, so... Water supply, that's, that's a concern for you. Even in Missoula, though, I mean, you know, uh, if you've if you got a lot of this going on, I mean, you can still foul our water. Granted, I mean, there's, uh, there's a three-hour discussion right there. How much chicken poop actually gets to our groundwater? Um, you know, it goes through layers of bacteria that are at certain depths, and, and I've been talking to the guys that do the sewage treatment plant thing where they're um, uh, putting it out on poplars in the spring and stuff like that, and what all's involved with that. It's an amazing project, but <clears throat> I, I think it's something worth being concerned about. So are you, so are you moving the, um, the coop so that it doesn't do that build-up? No, I'm saying this is, we are talking about coop and run, and that this is a problem with a coop and run setup. You're talking about the paddock ship. So in paddock ship, we're going to talk, to that, talk about that later. With the, um, 
and it'll be awesome. The tube's going to move around. <clears throat> the tube's not going to be in the same place. So we, for a moment there, we talked about the wagon wheel thing. Yeah, that. Yeah. That. Yeah. And so the problem with that was the, the, the buildup of poop in the same place. I mean, they went out to the different paddocks, you know, and that was, that was great and everything, but then still their home turf was getting yucky, and it was becoming a place where disease could build up. All right, this, this picture, I got this from a website called something like Happy Egg Farm. And I asked them for permission to use this in my stuff, and they gave me permission. Little did they know what I wanted to show it for. So um, you can see here's all this lovely greenness here and not so much in where the chickens are. Now, these chickens have a lot of space, but... There's no greenery in there. Now, here's an amazing thing. This fence they're using is a portable fence. They could move this fence onto this green fence. There's other pictures showing that they've got like five acres there that's not doing anything. They could, they could move all this fence over a little bit and move the poop stuff and whatever else they wanted to move over, and then they could be on greenery all the time. And then this space could recover take up all that excess nitrogen, that excess manure, and then turn it into new chicken food. Plus, it kind of bothers me to look at this because I don't, I don't see any dandelions or anything in there. That kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. So, but they're happy. It says so right on the label. We got two swimming pools. <laughs> yeah, it's like Beverly Hills there. Damn! Ellie Mae! This is um, my first poop and run. They still have greenery in here, but then um, as, as time passed, I became uncomfortable with this scenario of seeing them. I mean, here's the amazing thing. is Inside of here, there were no dandelions there. There's only grass. But I never sprayed anything. They ate the dandelions. They ate anything that was not grass first. And it was all gone. All that was left was grass. I, I thought that was a very interesting lesson. But of course, outside of it is all this lushness. And since I've got these steel posts pounded in, it's like not so easy to move it. So then I started looking into new systems. <clears throat> the fence, and you can see that um, the leaves on these plants have been eaten to like where they're just like within an inch of touching that fence. So the chickens have gotten as close to that as they can get. Plus, I mean, this whole area is kind of small. There was like seven chickens in this little space that was like, I don't know, like uh, six feet wide, maybe four feet wide, and then uh, 10 or 12 feet long. You know, I was looking at that and I was thinking it might be. Comfrey is a popular plant to plant next to a chicken coop because you can clip it off and throw it in and they like to eat it. <clears throat> the Bullock Brothers Permaculture Homestead on Orcas Island is an amazing, beautiful place. Everybody here should go see it sometime. It's spectacular just for so many different kinds of beauty, so many different kinds of permaculture projects. And they haven't talked to me ever since I showed people this picture. <laughs> I used to have a really great relationship with them. They'd invite me out for all kinds of events, and I'd come and take pictures, and, and it was awesome. What an awesome, amazing, fun place. And I lectured them for years about, you know, 
ideas about how to improve their chicken situation. And I took pictures all the time. I'm taking pictures wherever I go. And I'm showing how the, uh, the, the level of the ground in there is about three inches higher on the inside than on the outside. Now, they did have an interesting idea with this. This is divided into two pieces. And they thought that what they would do is that while the chickens were confined into one piece, they would grow something in the other piece. And then once they got all this green lushness going on in the other piece, they would turn the chickens loose in that. The problem is that they would turn the chickens loose in that, and the chickens would consume it all in half a day because they had so many chickens. Look at all the chickens in this small space. So they would wipe it out in half a day, and then it would take like 30 to 45 days to grow the other side. So it wasn't really doing a whole lot. And they've got so much acreage there. There's so much awesome stuff that they could do with chickens. But, you know, it's, they don't. And uh, I, I wish that... Uh, <laughs> I, I did Actually, I did manage to get Doug Bullock to do an interview for me once, but it was in Seattle, not, not like, oh, Paul, come on out to the Bullock Brothers again. It'll be awesome. <laughs> chicken tractor I want to break this down and in fact it was because of all of the negative response I got that I broke this down into two pieces there's the, there's the contraption and the philosophy so there's the chicken tractor contraption these things are chicken tractors and then there's like the book which explains the philosophy in this book this book it says right on the cover has the word permaculture something like a permaculture guide to having happy chickens and i'm about to totally destroy that so um <clears throat> Uh, all right, so the, the, the contraptions typically are about three feet by seven feet. There's an area that's covered, and there's an area that's screened off so they can get sun. So here you can kind of see there's greenery on the outside, and I think it doesn't show up in this picture really well, but I'm pretty sure that on the inside there's not greenery. Um, so this is the contraption. I don't know if I go into the philosophy. The philosophy... <laughs> The philosophy is this, and this is what's described in the book, is that you take your chicken tractor, you put a bunch of chickens in it, usually seven chickens inside of something this size. And I don't, is that, that's probably about what's this bottom one here. This top one looks like it's empty. You put like seven chickens in it, and then you'll move it to a section where you want to have a garden, and there'll be a bunch of weeds and stuff there. So then what they propose is that you leave the chickens in there. The chickens will eat all the greenery, and they'll scratch and scratch and scratch and poop and poop and poop. And then when the last scrap of greenery is gone, you move the chicken tractor to the next section where you want there to be gardens. You have to let them out of the cage, though, in the garden. I mean, you don't leave them in the cage. So, no, the, the philosophy is you leave them in there. How do they get access to the garden. I mean, there is no spoon. There is no garden. <laughs> One guy gets it. <laughs> so, you just wait. Just keep your britches on. I'm getting to it. There's more. There's more. All right. So the idea is, is that, hey, you don't have to rototill your garden. You have your chickens do it for you. You're stacking your functions. You're getting a twofer here. So uh, here's where I have a problem with the philosophy. 
when you put them on a bunch of weeds, the first 40 to 60% of the stuff that they eat is awesome. It's great chicken food. It is wonderful. The dandelions are great. There's all kinds of weeds that chickens love. Hey, how about one called chickweed? Look, it's got chicken right in the name. So uh, there'll be all kinds of great, great things for them to eat. Then once that's gone and their choice is to eat that crappy chicken food you're giving them or what's on the ground, which they've kind of crapped on, what's on the ground now is broken into two categories, about 50-50. One, slightly toxic. And two, damn toxic. So that's their choices now. But you know what? You've made an executive decision. <clears throat> Those chickens are going to stay there until every last bit of green is gone. That means they're going to eat all the slightly toxic stuff, and they're going to eat all the damn toxic stuff. So um, that's where I have a problem. And, that's, and me having that problem is what's gotten so many people upset with me. So that's where I dish out for vegetation factor a negative two. And this, this is for chicken tractor the philosophy. I mean, the contraption can work. And we're gonna, when we move into salads and pins, I'm going to talk more about how the contraption can be used in that kind of scenario. <clears throat> but when you're doing it where you're leaving it in the same place until all the greenery is gone, I hereby award you a negative two. That's right, worse than a factory farm. Because a factory farm does not go and feed poison to their chickens. Only the chicken tractor philosophy people do. And none of these other systems that I've outlined do that. Well, I guess, you know what, if you do a coop and run and they've eliminated all of the greenery that's in there, they've also eaten the toxic stuff. So I suppose any system where they obliterate all of the greenery is one where it's toxic. Although I think that with, um, with coop and run, there's possible winter wiped it out first. Or, you know, there's other, other things that could have gone on. But anyway, um, all the other factors, bug factor, one to two, poop cleaning factor, eight to ten. I mean, here's, this is pretty good. How much poop do you have to scoop when dealing with a chicken tractor? None, really. You know, poop hygiene factor, one to two, because they're standing around their own poop most of the time. Uh, work factor, one to three. You're still moving that thing around pretty regular, and you still have to pack out a lot of food, and you have to pack out a lot of water to keep it working right. Natural habitat, one to two. I mean, better than factory, but, you know, kind of, sort of. I mean, you're still pretty cramped, I think. Confinement, one to two, cramped. Food cost, one to two. I mean, you're, okay, you're subsidizing some of the food with uh, vegetation, some of which is good vegetation, and there is going to be occasional bug finding its way there. So... Now this is kind of this is Washington State University's um, uh, test plots near uh, Puyallup, Washington. And uh, first, I want to I want to uh, bitch about uh, the idea that I go to this place, and here's where all the people of Washington State are working on their doctoral theses. Well, I, not all of them, but a bunch of them. And it's kind of like, oh, great! And they invited me to come out and look at it and give them my opinion, which they probably regret. And um, everything I saw there was like from 20 years ago. So this is a demonstration of Salatin's pins. Only they're like tiny Salatin's pins. Only they're like something between a chicken tractor and a salatin pin. 
So, um, and, and so, I'm, and they got way too many chickens inside of them. So it's like, not only are they demonstrating something that was invented 20 years ago that somebody's working on a doctoral thesis about, but they're doing a suck job. So um, I'm surprised they didn't throw me off of that place. <laughs> I, so um, anyway, so here you can kind of see, and you know, usually with salads and stuff, it's like you move them into an area, they consume 30% of the feed, and then you move them again. Here, this looks more like 90%. Now, um, the one saving grace here is that while, while these chickens are consuming 90% of the greenery that's there, I do know that th these are test plots, and they very carefully um, destroyed all living things in this soil and then came back and planted precisely two things, and it was like one was a grass and one was a legume, both of which I thought were safe for chickens to eat. So it's not like they're finding a lot of toxic stuff in that, in that grass there. Um, <clears throat> On the other hand, it's not a very good real-world thing. I mean, maybe there's other things that they might be measuring or something like that. I, I don't know. I tried asking those kinds of questions, and I just got a lot of blank stares. Is there an argument in that situation that they haven't had a chance to pull the scratch the earth I, I'm, they're, yeah, they're probably moving them twice a day. I think if a chicken is like got a hankering for stones, which they do. I mean, they need stones in order to put in their crop. I think that right. You're, you're asking have they had a chance to scratch down and get to earthworms or scratch down and get to... One day in the hot sun, there's a bunch of exposed humans on the planet where all of them look dead like that, and the chicken cabbage didn't have so you're thinking that it could look dead like that because it just was really crazy hot inside this box? No. They ate most, you know, 80% of what was there or whatever. Right. They moved things and the plants suffered and died back. What left the plant doesn't look like much. Okay, I see your point. So you're thinking that they might have consumed 60%, sure. and then um, it, it, and then the plant that was left died off. I, I, I want to say that I think that your idea is plausible, but I'm going to guess no because, I mean, if it's only half a day, then it would probably be about, so it's 12 hours, so it would probably be about eight hours into it that it's pretty well picked over. But, like, if they only consumed 60%, then the rest of it would kind of die off. I don't think it would just die off. I think if it was clipped, I mean, it, it would take it several days to kind of die off to the point where, because this looks really brown here. That, but that's just, again, that's just my own speculation, and, and it, it goes back to a lot of this is going to be speculation, and it's up to you guys to decide if I'm full of shit or not. So, um, <clears throat> but if nothing else, the picture doesn't lie. I mean, you can look at it and see that looks that looks like ninety percent. So here's what they're coming up on. I tried to get a picture of where they're going into because I thought this was awful. I wanted to get a picture of it. Yeah. So, is, salad, is that a box apparatus or what? You, whatever name you... Oh, I've got it. I'm, I'm going to get to it. Oh, okay. A salad and pin. So, chicken tractor summary. <clears throat> please do not use the chicken tractor to eliminate all vegetation. I'm just, just pretty pleased. I'm asking you nice to not do that. 
you'll find all kinds of people that are saying, oh, it is so wonderful. It is the way to go. You don't have to convince them to change their minds or anything. Just I'm asking you, please, don't do that. Um, I think a chicken tractor would be excellent as a brooder for chicks. That I think that's br- the best way to go as a brooder for chicks. Think about it. They're, they're, in a, they're in a small fenced area. They can't get out. They have access to greenery, and they have access to a lot. For little tiny chicks, that's lots of greenery. They'll be fine. And then when they've eaten 30% of the greenery, then move it. That's great. <clears throat> Um, when we get into paddock shift systems, it's, it, it would work well as a possible mini coop. One end would be open. Truly free range. Oh, boy, here comes the fun. Okay, look at all those tens. Oh, it's possible to have a ten for every metric. It's possible. Possible. But, look, there's also somewhere it's, you know, poop cleaning factor. Look, you could, it's possible to get a zero because you're cleaning the poop out of my car. You clean the poop out of the shop. In fact, we're going to, here, i got pictures. Let's, where are we going to clean the poop off of? Okay, here they are. Here's the chickens unmulching my trees. I set that board down for just a minute while I went into the kitchen, and they crapped all over it. Here they are reshaping a pear tree. They spent so much time. That used to go straight up. How did they do that? It's like they just go up and it's going straight up and they pull it over every day and do that. And eventually the tree just grew that way. Like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just do, I'm going to stick to it. These things never get a white rock rooster. They, they just attack and attack and attack. Finally, I turned them into soup. This used to be a perfectly great place to sit on this bench and tell the chickens crapped all over it. That was perfectly good loose hay until the turkeys crapped all over it. Now, this looks like a lovely picture. Look at the turkeys looking so beautiful and so nice. They don't know Thanksgiving's just around the corner. It's clearly autumn. What a beautiful color of a tree. What you don't see over here, about, about, about here, is my front porch. And we've got two snow shovels out there because several times a day we're scraping all the chicken poop off of it. For some reason, they think the front porch is the most awesome place to hang out. Okay, so here's the upside of having truly free-range chickens, is every once in a while a hen comes out with a clutch of baby chicks. Um, Bits and bobs about truly free-range. Chickens try to eat all of the dog or cat food. So now you've got the dog constantly monitoring his dog food to keep the chickens. So the dog's job is to protect the chickens, but it's kind of awkward when you're, like, trying to protect your food from those same chickens. Uh, In a truly free-range system, they can wipe out your garden. Now, in other systems, they don't wipe out your garden, but in a truly free-range, they will utterly destroy it. Soils and pastures will do better when given a chance to rest between visits from the chickens. With free range, there is no way to have that rest. So they constantly go in and find the best stuff and keep destroying it. And the stuff they don't like so much, they just always leave that behind. Uh, I told you about the chicken scratches on my car. Um, If you find an egg in an odd spot, don't eat it. That's for the pigs. Uh, chicken poop on my porch, in my shop, on my workbench. They started nesting in the baler. 
Um, when they are spread out in the day, it's harder to protect them from predators. We're going to talk about predators later, but you can just imagine when they're spread out for 100 yards and the coyotes are kind of thinking, I'm hungry, suddenly they're thinking maybe they can pick off one or two. Okay, Salatin's pen. So this is a standard Salatin pen. They're typically 10 feet by 20 feet, so a 10 by 10 area is covered and a 10 by 10 area is open to the sun. And typically you put 25 birds in it and you move it twice a day. So that way the, the, the chickens are always on fresh grass, you're always moving them off of the area that they've pooped on and you just keep moving them and moving them and moving them. How many people does it take to move for? One. has got this thing where um, it looks like a, a, a kind of like a trolley or a, a, a hand truck, and you, oh, it's got like a wide lip at the bottom, and he comes and he scooches it up and he pulls it over and it cranks up this end. In the meantime, all the chickens run to the back because, you know, Salatin's a scary guy to them, and then he pulls it along to the next spot. The only, now, the, the thing is, is that that system really, really bothers me because I worry that the back end is going to catch on a chicken and run a chicken over. And I've happened, I've had happened twice, and both times the chicken was okay, but it just creeps me out. It gives me the heebie-jeebies, and I, I think I talk about it a lot. Um, is there enough room in there for 25 chickens? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's enough room in there for them. I mean, I, that was part of the thing that concerned me. I mean, of all the things I had tried before a Salatin-style approach, Salatin's was a big leap in a positive direction for me. And so, yeah, they're in a pen, and you kind of but, – but it does seem like it's a little confined. And um, as time went on, it was my concerns about the pens. And I came up, and we're going to go through a quick tour of my pen designs to improve upon this design. And the last design I never finished because suddenly I got the idea for the paddock shift system, and um, uh, which I like so much better than the pens. But, I mean, let's, I mean, let's give Salatin credit where credit is due. The, the dude's a genius. This is, this is awesome. This is amazing. This is, this is such an incredible leap forward. And then he wrote a book about it ages and ages ago. So it's still assuming you have level ground everywhere. That's true. It, it, it does assume that, which is uh, another problem. I mean, when I look at Salatin's stuff, I, I feel like I just don't see enough trees there, um, but and, and then yeah, the whole level ground thing is like something that permaculture folks are not really keen on because in nature the ground was never really that level in most spots. It was all kind of lumpy. We have lots of edge in permaculture, um, <clears throat> but um, for a lot of people, this is this was. I mean, this is a big improvement. Let's not get this is better than Coop and Run. I mean, this area is still bigger than what a lot of chickens have to live in that have a chicken run or or those chicken palaces. This is still way bigger. Granted, they share it with 24 of their buddies, um, but, you know, fresh grass twice a day, um, I, I think it's. I, I think we're looking at a big improvement. But yeah, I think I think your thinking is correct, and we're going to move on to something better in a moment. And I believe. Salatin's reports, in my experience, was cutting the food bill by 20%. And this is. It seems to be a pretty general number. A lot of people who've done this, 20%. So and you, you know, a lot of it, they're getting. Um, 
greens uh, from pasture, and then there's going to be a fair number of bugs. There's going to be, once they get to the new spot, there's going to be quite a few bugs in that new spot, and there's going to be bugs that find their way in. So, but yeah, 20%. I'm going to skip over all the different little factors. <clears throat> the poop cleaning factor, of course, is 10, and it's locked in at 10. It's, it's very awesome. Um, the poop hygiene factor is actually pretty high. By the time you move it, there's, they're, they're not standing around on a lot of poop. They're not standing around like on a solid mat of poop. It's like 10% of the ground has poop on it. So here is my, my first new design, Be, you know, going beyond uh, uh, south and stuff. Uh, and here's what I learned is that if you're going to buy PVC pipe, make sure it's the kind that's UV resistant and cold resistant. This stuff wasn't, and it decomposed in one summer. But it was very lightweight. And here you can kind of see the thing that I did. What I, so there's, this is a little door that I made. And the idea was is I'd pull up another one of these pens next to this pen, and then I'd open the doors between the two pens, and all the chickens would buzz through into the next pen. And then I'd close the little doors. And then I'd use the empty pen to be the new pen for the other batch of chickens. So I'd have, like, you know, four or five of these going at once. So that way I never had to drag the pen while the chickens were in it, which was just an enormous relief to me because I would never get one caught on the other end which was driving me nuts. And then I just threw a tarp over one side. And, and, in fact, I had ideas about improving the design of this, but I never got to it because I moved on to my next design. What were the dimensions? 10 by 20. 10 by 20 is very standard. I think it was two feet. Yeah. Um, so this one I used stock panels, and then I, would, I bent them, and I attached two by fours onto the end, and then I just used clothesline to kind of define the shape. And then what I would do is I would build another one on the other. See, there's the old one still in action over there. And then I would build a new one extending it off of here. And then I would just lift up the little um, piece of fence between the two, and they'd all race through to the other side, and then I'd drop the fence down. The problem with this design was is that it was taking a lot of time to rebuild the next one. It wasn't very fast. So it was turning out to be too time-consuming. This is one where I went to Costco and I got one of those garages. And then it turns out that, you know, to get it to be a garage, you click in this pipe that goes here on all these little bits, and I just left that out. And then I made wood skids to put this on. But this is all steel. And it just was crazy heavy. It was just way too heavy. So then I tried making one out of poly pipe. <laughs> Obviously, it was a little too floppy. So then I welded together some um, some uh, uh, steel rod. And um, uh, the problem that I had was is that it's like after a day, the steel rod started to rust. And I thought, okay, well... I could paint it, but I really don't like the idea of bringing paint onto the farm if I can dodge that. I could oil it, but the oil would probably come off and then it would still rust. Plus, it just rusted so fast. I'd have to oil it, like, really, really quick. So I was really struggling with the idea. And then I came up with, I believe the next slide is this idea. Yeah. I did a hybrid 
I used I so I used that floppy thing that's using this poly pipe, and then I ran the steel rod, which is kind of springy, through the poly pipe, which works awesome. And it was right about when I was attaching the chicken wire out to about here that I got the idea for doing paddock shift systems. Because I was doing paddock shift with goats and with cattle. And uh, I was even kind of doing a little bit with pigs, and I was having really great success with it. I mean, one of the great things about paddock shift systems, like with cattle, is that um, you'll put them into a paddock for like a week, and then you move them to the next paddock, and that first paddock gets about 30 days of rest. So if you keep doing this, you get like five times more vegetation growing out of that spot than you ever did before just by doing this rotational grazing. It's, it's spectacular. It's amazing. Oh, and that brings up chicken paddocks. Yes. Look, the best. Um, you need to have four or more paddocks. Um, five is usually like a, the minimum I like to work with. Um, the chickens spend seven to ten days in a paddock. Each paddock has 28 more days of rest in between visits from the chickens. Uh, you can use permanent or temporary fencing or a little bit of both. Paddocks are famous for getting oh, five times more vegetation. Man, I already covered this. Damn, I, I'm like ahead of myself. Here's an example of one. Um, there's some things I don't like about this system, but here you've got your temporary fencing. You've got your portable shelter. Um, it looks like they've got probably about uh, an eighth of an acre right there for, I think, a dozen chickens. Um, I do think that they might have left the chickens in there a little too long, but you can still see it's fairly lush in there. There's not a lot of variation of vegetation, but, you know, it's still, I think it's, it, it kind of gives you an idea. Notice how every, all the metrics can score, it is possible to score a 10. And for some of them, it's, it's really difficult to score um, anything lower than a 9. So there's three of them where I see 9 to 10 for their range. Poop cleaning factor. I'm, I'm not sure where you would clean poop, really, but I imagine there might be something. Um, poop hygiene factor. Again, I, I think it would always be a 10. I think it would be hard to not get a 10. Um, vegetation. What's that? No, no, they do. They poop in their shelter a lot. They love to poop in their shelter. It's their favorite place to poop. And then the shelter has no bottom. And then they do a whole lot of pooping, and then you move to the next paddock, and all that poop stays there, and then you're in the next paddock. And now it's all fresh and clean inside of their little coop. Yay! <laughs> so, uh, now granted, they left behind a bit of poop, but here's, here's the thing to do is whenever you get to a, a, a paddock, you find the, 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 the piece of uh, land that's looking the, the saddest, the most miserable, the spot that could really use a little pick-me-up, and that's where you park the coop. <laughs> and then uh, that's going to be the greenest spot in about a month. <laughs> so... Um, Work factor. I mean, this is going to have a big, it depends on it, but look, it's possible to get a 10. But it's, po it's possible where you don't have to do hardly any work at all. Um, I mean, you think about it. If you've got 25 chickens and you turn them into an acre um, and, and there's a creek in there or a little bit of a stream and you put food out there and they just don't eat it, I mean, how long can you leave them in there without having to check on them? 
I mean, granted, you might want to go and get the eggs, but if they're meat birds, they're kind of like, good luck, you're on your own, and they'll probably be fine. The only concern, of course, is predators, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. Confinement factor, I think they're very unconfined. I mean, they've got bushes and trees, and they've got, which is a lot of their natural habitat. Now, around here, we've got winter, which throws in some challenges, and we can talk about that later. Food cost factor can be greatly reduced. It's just, it's just awesome. Here's one that's an urban system. So this is like some sort of dog kennel, fancy stuff, and so this gal just moves this around like every couple of days, and and so this is something where her chickens are kind of like her pets who give her eggs, and and but she does, she moves it all around her property every few days, and everything gets 30 days of rest, and she has huge success with this, and she has goats on her urban lot also. Yes. Food cost factor four to four to ten. Um, you'd still be putting food out for them, and they eat it. So, remember the picture that we saw a little earlier? That picture? Yeah. Yeah. How much food are they getting off of that land? I mean, I don't see, like, uh, sunflowers and sunchokes. I'm not even sure if there's much in the way of grains growing there. I mean, what's their food here? So here they, I see some dried-up grass. I'm not seeing a lot of other food. So now they've got this dried-up patch of grass and the leaves on this tree, I guess, and the food you put out for them. Now, granted, there's probably a fair number of bugs that are in there and that are coming in there because they're eating the bugs. So that's going to cut back on on your on how much food you buy, right? right. So, um, but I don't. There's not a lot of other vegetation there. I mean, we, we'll talk about things. But it'd be awesome if there was a mulberry tree right in the middle. Those things are dropping tons of fruit all summer long. And and so then they can you know get a bunch of food from that. But this patch doesn't have any. Does, does this answer your question? Well, this is a, this is a primo. Right. This is not primo. Okay. What would be? Four to ten. This this is a paddock shift system. This is a temporary thing with a with a portable shelter, and then they move it periodically, and then this area will get 30 days of rest. But what would be primo is if they planted lots of plants in here. Like, you know, from a permaculture perspective, I would plant a lot of food that I like to eat, and then just before moving them into the area, I would go and harvest a whole bunch and then move them into that area. And then when they've consumed 30% of whatever's in there, I'll move them to the next area. So they won't wipe it out, and I'll have gotten a lot of my food from it, but there would probably be a lot of raspberries that they would find that I didn't find, yeah. stuff like that. But this doesn't have – I don't see food in here. I just see, you know, August pasture. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I see other things that could be mended there. But that's the other presentations. <laughs> All right, so now we go back to this picture of uh, the coupon run scenario. And then we modify it to do a paddock shift system. Pretty neat, huh? It's almost like it's animated. This is my own artwork. I bet you're impressed. So the idea is, is that that little, this is, this is the little portable coop right here. 
it only needs to be big enough for them to roost in and maybe uh, keep their uh, their crappy food dry and and maybe put some water out there. Although you don't, it doesn't need to be in there with them. But the thing is, is that you can keep moving it around, and uh, they have fresh grass every time you move them. And it doesn't need to always be where they can go right up next to the house. I mean, you can have you know places where you can still get around your house. I mean, it depends on a lot of different factors. That would be a factor. So, so like if you've got one chicken and you've got a tiny lot, and we live in Missoula, Montana, then there's this whole winter thing that happens every year, and. Um, uh, but in the warmer season, yeah, you can get it to work out just fine. I mean, especially depending on what you plant there. I mean, you know, in, in the world of permaculture, there's a lot of people debating about what does permaculture mean and, and what should we do and stuff. But basically, if you just leave nature to herself, then there's a certain level of vegetation that grows. And I believe that if you come in there and you work in cooperation with nature, nature you typically get like 10 to 20 times more vegetation. And so I, I kind of think, okay, come in there and do that on your land, and and now you can support more chickens moving around. It's easier to do. So um, granted, you are going to get to a time of year where a lot of that's going to slow way down in winter, and then there, there's ways to mitigate that still. So. I have beehives. Why you have to fence them off to keep the chickens away from Wow, I really want to see how you're going to fence off bees. <laughs> so uh, the chickens will eat the bees. Um, I don't see a way that you're going to get a fence. Uh, I mean, I, I can imagine that if you can keep your chickens a distance away from the hives, that that's going to improve the situation. Um, and uh, but it's like, boy, I, I don't see a slam dunk here. I don't see, I don't see a hundred percent. And and uh, at the same time, though, I mean, like when your bees head out to go get some of that nectar, there's those damn birds. They're everywhere. Um, so uh, I, I think that the perils for a bee are, are great already, and and um, but I would imagine there's not going to be too much trouble as long as you keep yeah because you're right because if the chickens have full access to the beehive it's like man the food just pours out of this box it's awesome <laughs> so yeah I think keeping them apart would probably be wise does that answer your question yeah okay. Predator control. How are we doing on time? Great. Well, yeah, I think that clock's messed up. So, All right, a big deal about predator control is going to be about whether or not you're out in the sticks or, or whether you're in town. And, and I mean, there's totally different approaches for each one. So we're gonna we're gonna cover both. And if you're in the middle, then maybe you're gonna um, get a little bit of, of uh, middleness in between. And by the way, since we're about halfway through, there is a price for coming to my presentation. 
That price is is that I need your email address so I could try to rope you into all of my devious schemes. <laughs> so so there now you know the price. The other thing is is that one of the reasons why I come and give these presentations for uh, free ish for just an email uh, is uh, that I'm looking for land. I'm looking for 80 or more acres. Somebody somewhere is going to have a friend of a friend who's got a whole bunch of acres they're sitting on and would love to see permaculture-y things happen to it. Uh, looking for sloped land with trees, hopefully a little bit of water on it, um, but definitely slope and trees. Um, and maybe one of you will get me in touch with somebody who has that land and will um, lease it to me for an awesome rate and be totally cool with all of the awesome permaculture stuff I'm going to do to it. All right, moving along. Um, predator pressure. So as I talk about predators and, and all kinds of different farm animals that, that are out there, I run into these people that say, oh, um, we keep all of our predators off with geese, or we keep all of our predators off by going around and peeing on the fence posts, um, things like that. This, this has everything to do with predator pressure. There's some areas that just have tons of predators, and there's other areas that just don't have a lot of predators. So if you've got um, a, a heavy predator pressure, and you've got all kinds of big fence stuff going on, and you've got chickens inside of there, the predators are sitting outside that fence starving to death, which has a powerful push element to it. They really, really, really want your chickens, and in fact, they're going to attempt death-defying things to get at them, because either they're going to die on the outside, or there's less chance they're going to die if they go through this death-defying act to get to the inside. Uh, other places you go to, it's like uh, you've got your chickens in a fence, and outside of the fence, there's plenty of predator food already. So getting in the fence is not that big of a deal. They're not going to push it. It's not worth the hassle. So we're going to talk about that some more a little bit later. The types of predators, we're going to go into a lot of detail. Uh, dogs versus a livestock guardian dog. Uh, uh, we'll mention how llamas and donkeys are for low predator pressure issues. Uh, physical barriers and what, what it's going to take to keep um, the, the predators out with physical barriers. And psychological barriers, which is generally an electric solution. Do, 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 do. All right. On the farm. Um, when I go out and visit farms, I break, uh, so somebody says, oh, come out to our farm. Come out and give us advice on what to do. Come take a look at the awesomeness we have going on now. And for a lot of those people, I um, um, have a different label than farm. They are people who live in the country, which is different than a farm. And, and one of the big defining things is whether or not they have a livestock guardian dog. If they don't have a livestock guardian dog and they have critters like chickens, they're just living in the country. They don't have a farm. This, I mean, this, this makes this much of a difference. So, um, and a lot of times they'll say things like, oh, I like being able to see all the wildlife and I don't want a dog to chase off the wildlife. That's a great indicator that these are people that are living in the country, not on a farm. All right, uh, predator pressure determines what they can get away for the long while. And then predator pressure comes and goes. You might have low predator pressure for a while. And then suddenly, bam, you've got a whole bunch of very high predator pressure that you'll need to deal with. 
Um, livestock guardian dog. Ninety percent of small farms lose chickens or cannot raise chickens simply because they cannot follow this path. I need to experience the wildlife. Uh, any dog that kills any livestock must go. You don't have to kill the dog. I mean, there's, you know, find a friend or find, you know, basically the dog has to move off of the land. Having, I mean, people are like, oh, I love this dog, and it keeps killing all the chickens. So we're back to this whole thing of like, well, maybe you're raising dog food. Maybe that's what you're into. <laughs> and just embrace that and move forward with your life. But if you're trying to say, oh, I love snookums, and I love all my chickens, and I want to have both, it's like, you know what, that's just doomed. It's just I've never seen it work out. Never. Um, at least two good livestock guardian dogs. So this is a different breed of dog. A livestock guardian dog is a dog that's been bred for thousands of years to protect livestock. Usually, almost all of these breeds... Oh, look, there it is. Bred for thousands of years to protect livestock. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Um, usually, these breeds will take on a mountain lion to protect a chicken. They will die fighting a mountain lion to protect a chicken. This is just their instinct. It's part of how they've been bred. Um, and then you need to have at least two because a lot of times the coyotes, when there's high predator pressure, they are devious. They are intelligent. And they will put several coyotes in one area to draw the livestock guardian dog out while the rest of the coyotes come and get the chickens from another direction. But if you have at least two, two livestock guardian dogs will work together to protect all of your chickens from even the most devious coyotes. Predator issue, uh, almost, uh, almost completely melt away. If you've got a livestock guardian dog, all of your predator problems have just left. I uh, maybe. Let's talk about food costs for your uh, for your livestock guardian dogs for for a moment, and um, a little bit. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna go out and maybe buy dog food, or maybe you're going to raise dog food on your farm. Um, but a lot of these dogs, I mean, if you've got a lot of serious acreage, they can forage for themselves a lot. I know that mine did. It was amazing what they brought back. <laughs> and, you know, and we're cutting back on the food bill. So um, now you're asking about, like, raptors? Right. I've, I've seen the livestock guardian dogs will take after the raptors. And the raptors will will step. Now we've had we have had some losses to raptors, but it's like pretty minimal. I and mean, the dogs will go after them, and the raptors will just kind of think it's just not. I mean, the, the, like any predator, they want the easy kill if they can get it. And it's like uh, when a dog comes running at them, barking, they they kind of give up. Like, oh, I've like, changed my mind. <laughs> I'll let them go. So here's two I had at one point in time. So this is Liza and Henry. I don't know what breed this dog is. This is just a mutt. But somehow this mutt followed Liza's lead. And so this is, Liza is mostly Great Pyrenees, which is the most popular livestock guardian dog breed. And so um, together they work together all the time. And she was the brave one and he was the coward. And uh, so you could hear the coyotes yipping and uh, far, far away, and then suddenly you hear, and that was Liza going by the house, and then you just wait for it, 
Wait for it. Pipe, pipe, pipe. And so all the coyotes are getting nailed by Eliza while Henry's staying back to protect the ones that are still here. Oh, I'm paused now. No, now I'm recording. Oh, good. Um, so, yeah, this worked out really good. Um, uh, there are lots of folks that uh, struggled with dogs, like, oh, I'm, I'm covered, I've got dogs. And it's like, it's just not the same unless you have livestock guardian dogs. If you don't have a puppy, if you get a puppy for the that's an okay first of all with the livestock guardian dogs you can't really train them I mean, you can try. I mean, there's some things you might eventually train into them, but that's really not their thing. I mean, they've got their own agenda. I mean, basically, it's kind of like if I'm the livestock guardian dog, I need you to kind of give me an idea of who's in our family, and I'm going to keep everybody else out. And that's really – I just so much need that. Now, um, if you've got like a great Pyrenees dog and a little puppy, and this is really the way to do it, is to bring the puppy up as part of your family, then um, uh, usually when they hit about nine or ten months, they play with the chickens, and they usually break a leg on a chicken, which you then have to put down. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of people, their thought is, is like, well, I, I, I guess this, this didn't work out. But, you know, usually what you do is bad dog and the dog is mortified because you know you were like the most awesome person in the world and suddenly you're like bad dog and it mysteriously ends there i'm not sure what happened to my recording contraption but uh um i don't know i think that there's a good hour missing of of stuff i talked about at that presentation um but uh hey you know what would be cool it, it would be really cool if you made a link to my chicken article that would be great uh, why don't you see if you can do that? Thanks. <laughs> if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about how to care for chickens, homesteading, and permaculture all the time.